Hello, and welcome to the Mensa Crossing Borders Contesting Boundaries podcast. I'm Rhiannon Snape, former Mensa Conference Chair, and this episode features a paper from Julia Calabro. Julia holds a bachelor's degree in classical studies from the University of Udine in northeastern Italy and a master's degree in historical studies with a particular focus on Italian diplomacy at the end of the 15th century. Julia has taught Italian, Latin, history and geography in the province of Udine for four years and is now studying for her PhD at the University of Trieste. Her thesis explores the presence of Genoese merchants in England between 1458 and 1466, when the Genoese community was subject to fines and explorations by the English crown. This was the result of an attack by a pirate with Genoese connections on English ships in the Mediterranean, which forced Henry VI to extract compensation from the Genoese merchants resident in his kingdom. Julia's paper today explores the way in which an account of the Battle of Taunton crossed English borders and reached the Duchy of Milan. 1461 was a turning point for the War of the Roses. After the death of his father Richard, Edward, Earl of March, took over the leadership of the Yorkist faction and defeated the Lancastrian army led by Owen Tudor at Mortimer's Cross. This battle took place on the 2nd or, according to other sources, on the 3rd of February 1461. At the same time, Richard Neville, Earl of Warwick, left London to engage in battle against Margaret of Anjou, wife of Henry VI and Queen of England. Warwick brought with him the same king he had taken prisoner in July of the previous year. The clash took place near St Albans, where Warwick had won a brilliant victory six years before. This time, things went differently. Henry VI was freed, and the Yorkist troops were forced to retreat to London, where they rejoined those of Edward. The latter and Warwick encamped in the city, while Margaret moved toward them after her troops had plundered St Albans. The fact of not having been able or unwilling to stop the violence of her man was a great mistake for the Queen, because the Londoners, suspicious after what happened in St Albans, refused to open the gates of the city to Margaret, who had to fall back to York. The newfound freedom of Henry VI, a weak and mentally unstable king, forced the Yorkist faction to intervene. It was decided to proceed with the acclamation of a new king, Edward, who became Edward IV. The acclamation came first from the army, then it was the turn of the people of London, who for four times declared York the legitimate king of England. There was nothing left to do but to flush out and defeat Margaret, whose army was just south of York. After a Yorkist defeat at Ferrybridge, the fight moved to Toughton, 12 miles from York. The Lancasters had occupied more advantageous positions, but the weather helped the Yorks. The wind behind them favoured the shooting of their archers and forced Margaret's men to advance, losing the advantage offered by the plateau on which they were located. The short-range confrontation became very violent, so much that several times it was decided to stop the fight to free the battlefield from the corpses. Only the arrival of a Yorkist contingent led by the Duke of Norfolk managed to break the balance between the parties. The Lancasters, now outnumbered, began to retreat. 
The route lasted all night. Margaret and a few other allied lords managed to escape to Scotland. Between the 29th and the 30th of March 1461, 28,000 men died in Toton in what was defined by many historians as one of the most important battles in English history. Given the importance of the event, it should not be surprising that its narrative soon exceeded the borders of England, spreading in Europe to the Italian courts, that at the time were very distant, not only geographically. Between the gentlemen who ruled the Italian peninsula in 1461, the Duke of Milan, Francesco Sforza, was among the most powerful and important. His duchy extended to a large part of the Po Valley in Italian Pianura Padana. Sforza, who became duke in 1450 after a brilliant past as a warlord, based part of his success and power on timely knowledge of information. He liked to call himself Lord of News in Italian Signore de Novelle, so it is not surprising that the network of informers, spies and ambassadors he had disseminated in Europe made sure that the news and description of Toton soon reached him. The first to carry the narrative of the battle outside the English borders were, most likely, merchants. Their frequent movements from the English island to the mainland made them the ideal intermediaries for an initial dissemination of news about the recent events of the war. This news spread primarily to France and Flanders, and there it was gathered from the French sovereign or some local prince by the official representative of the duke. In this regard, as far as it is concerned all the events of the War of the Roses, and not only, it was Prospero da Camogli of Genoa to report what happened in his letters at the end of March 1461 in England. Da Camogli was the Milanese ambassador to the Dauphin of France, Louis, then Louis XI, who, at the time, was in Genappe, at the court of the Duke of Burgundy. In view of the frequent trades between, between England and later, it is not surprising that the Milanese ambassador was very, well, was very well informed about the facts. Burgundy was one of the first states where the news was disseminated after it had crossed the English borders. The same Prospero writes several times that he has obtained news per la via de Bruges, through the way of Bruges. Today, it is possible to know what information about Toton arrived in Milan from Prospero da Camogli because his letters are kept in the State Archive of Milan, one of the most important in Italy. The correspondence of this ambassador, in fact, is preserved in good condition and allows us to shed light on the events of the World of the Roses. In a letter dated 27th of March 1461, the Duke of Milan is informed of the coronation of the new king. Tacamogli writes that Edward was crowded in London and, after the ceremony, together with Warwick, gathered an army to confront the queen. In the letter, Margaret is never called by name, but only indicated with her office of queen. Here, Prospero also testifies the great favour that the new sovereign was receiving. The narrative of the events continues in the subsequent letters, but it is interrupted by some missives concerning continental issues that have a little to do with Toton. 
On the 12th of April, Prospero certified to the Duke Sforza that the battle had taken place 15 days earlier, 170 miles from London, near York. The information about the date is correct, but that about the miles is not. But maybe we can forgive the ambassador for the 20 mile difference he put in his letter. The distance between Toton and London is about 190 miles, not 170. Prospero also provides the number of the fallen, reconstructed by certain heralds. 28,000, a figure that is very close to that indicated by many historians. The ambassador says more. 20,000 are the dead among the Lancastrians, and 8,000 among the Yorkists. The letter, shorter than Prospero's standards, concludes with a certainty. Margaret, her husband King Henry, and some of their supporting lords fled to the north, to Scotland. But Prospero was not the only informer who was useful to the Duke. The, net the network of spies and ambassadors woven by the Duke of Milan was very wide, and the news of what happened in Toton reached Milan also through other channels. In fact, on the 7th of April, some letters arrived in Italy from Bruges, presumably sent by merchants, in which the battle described was considered a great victory for Edward, so much that after it, the new king would certainly have no trouble considering the entire state under his rule. Prospero was invited, therefore, to join the English court to make contact with the new ruler. In a letter of 17th of April, coded for the most part, at the time it was normal uh, coding a letter if you want to write something, Prospero was more precise because he provided the Duke of Milan with a list of fallen lords at Toton. In this way, the news of the death of one of the most strenuous supporters of the Lancaster's cause surpassed the English borders. The first of the fallen of the forces of Margaret is the Earl of Northumberland, rather clear Italianization for the Earl of Northumberland, Henry Percy. Other notables of the kingdom followed, including Andrew Trollope, called Cavalier, Knight. It must be admitted that it is not always possible to trace the identify of the fallen indicated by Camogli because sometimes the Italianization of their surnames or their position makes them unrecognizable. The letter closes with a list of important prisoners and it is stringent to read among them King Enrico, the King Henry, the Queen, la regina in Italian, the prince, their son, and the Duke of Somerset. A fake news, it might seem, since we know that all four of them managed to escape north. It is not the only one, since the letters also states that the Duke of Somerset was beheaded along with his brother after the battle. In Prospero's defense, we must say that, before listing the prisoners, if writes to his lord, it is sad. In short, he was well aware that the news was not certain. After the battle, some confusion reigned, and the information disseminated was not always correct.
Nevertheless, the Duke of Milan also learned that Edward's brother-in-law, Henry Holland, Duke of Exeter, who fought with the Lancasters, had escaped beheading only for being the husband of the new king's sister. Another missive of the 18th of April clearly testifies the dangerous atmosphere that was breathed in England at the time. The two brothers of Edward, Edward, George and Richard, were sent to Bruges, probably in an attempt to protect them from the violence of the homeland. After the Battle of Doton, however, even from Prosperous letters, it was clear that Edward's throne, for time being, was well established. The victory was almost definitive and the enemies were routed. A last interesting clarification closes this intervention. Warwick's fundamental role in Yorkist success had also crossed the English border. The one who will then be called the Kingmaker in the letters is almost always associated with Edward. The victory of Doton belongs to both. Indeed, sometimes Warwick is the sole protagonist of Prosperous Lines. Surely, a man with a glorious war past, like the Duke warlord Francesco Sforza, could not but appreciate the military and political deeds of this skilled protagonist of the English scene. So I'm here with Julia Calabro to discuss her exploration of an account of the Battle of Taunton of 1461, which reached the Duchy of Milan. So thank you, Julia, for joining us and for your paper. Thank you. Um, so I think we'll just jump straight straight in with our first question. Um, so could you expand on the process of gathering and constructing newsletters by the Duke's ambassadors? How do these letters in the archive reflect the whole process by which this was done? Yes, um, this is a really nice question because um, it is fundamental for the Duke of Milan, it was fundamental for him uh, gathering information. So as I said in the paper, he liked to be called uh, what in Italian, in medieval Italian, was uh, Signore de Novelle, which means Lord of News. So for him, gathering news was really fundamental. And uh, he used to gather um, two types of news. Official news from, for example, uh, his official ambassadors, um, such as Prospero Bacamogli, um, who was the ambassador at the court of the, the King of France. And, uh, but there was also another way to gather information. And we can call it an unofficial way because um, we have in the archive of Milan a lot of letters written by, for example, merchants or um, other types of servants of people uh, who were not official ambassadors. So um, connecting the information from these two types of, uh, you know, informators from, um, you know, ambassadors, merchants and so on, uh, the Duke could create a really wide network of information. So it was really well informed. Of course, uh, he, he wanted to be really well informed about what was happening in Italy, but as I said in the paper, uh, in the podcast, sorry, um, he also really wanted to know what was happening in France, first of all, because, you know, Milan was and still is pretty close to France, but also in Burgundy and in England. Did he, is it mostly Italian people he's getting his news from, or are you finding that he's having like, things with Frenchmen and 
Um, it depends. Uh, of course, for the official channel of information, we have Italian people. So we have noble that, uh, nobles that were sent by the Duke for to other courts. Um, and very close members of his family, for example, or other types of people such as um, Prospero da Camogli. He was a very well-known uh, man from Liguria, so from an, another region at the south of Lombardy. And, uh, but he also had uh, strangers' uh, informations, informators, sorry, and uh, it depends. It is not, but maybe if I can have to choose, maybe more Italians, of course. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was my Right, so you mentioned, this kind of leads on quite nicely, so you mentioned that the letters were seemingly sent to the Duke by merchants in Bruges. So yes. I just wondering if you could expand on the role of those figures in shaping the Duke's perception of European events. So obviously if he's getting accounts of English events for an Englishman, it's going to be a slightly different perspective. Um, yeah. And the same with those merchants, are they giving him slightly different kinds of reports? Yes, this merchant, these merchants had a very, a very important role because um, they were not only um, trading goods, they were also trading information. So uh, when they returned back from uh, Spain, from England, from Flanders, they brought to Milan a lot of news and um, they were really, really important. So, okay, it is important to have an official ambassador, but I think that for, uh, you know, to, to say something really use, useful, we can also use this type of uh, man. Um, because the ambassador has access to the high level society, but the, these merchants, of course, they are not farmers, okay, but they have access to a lot of uh, news that were spreading among the middle class, if we can call it that way. So this is why they are really important and this is why uh, the Duke used also to, um, you know, to, to, to was really uh, interesting in what they had to say, what they had to tell about the situation, for example, in France or in countries that at the time were really distant, uh, like were really far, like England, for example. So do you find these reports, then I assume the answer is yes, based on what you've been saying, but they're part of a wider source base. So do we have surviving reports of other events in England? Yes, we have, um, because um, the letters that I use to create a podcast about Tolton are stored nowadays in the Milan National Archives. And so in this institution, there are a lot of what in Italian we call buste. Buste means boxes. These are boxes. And inside these boxes, we have lots of letters that are not only from England. We have two boxes from England and Scotland with a lot of material. And, but there, there are also some boxes from France, from Burgundy. So we can use them to know something about uh, something. Something is kind of reductive. Many things about English history from the Milanese perspective, of course, not only about Toto, Toto was just a small episode, but also about, for example, we, all, we also have gossips. For example, uh, there, are a let, there are some letters that are about the marriage between Edward I 
and Elizabeth Woodville um, letters uh, written by merchants. So do you think um, this incident offers insight into the spread of news between England and Milan more generally? So you said there's the other boxes, you've got the gossip, um, so kind of those wider processes in which things are sort of traveling. Can you track how letters have got to certain places and things like that? I think so, because uh, thanks to this type of documents, we can uh, understand how this type of events uh, were sent to the Milanese court. So uh, we can reconstruct all the, uh, you know, all the, all the, how can I say it? All the, all the travel of this news. So we know that uh, there were uh, high testimony, testimonies uh, present during, uh, during and after the battle. These people talk with some merchants and then they uh, took the news uh, to the uh, Milanese ambassador. So this is how they used to um to spread the news from england to italy this is how it works of course we can have some passages more for example we can have uh two merchants that were talking together and one of these went to the ambassador and after that the ambassador wrote letters or just one merchant but this is how usually the news uh used to spread around europe at the time do you think that more work needs to be done on this kind of issue and how news spreads through Europe? Um, it seems like there's scope here for an international or cooperative effort or project. So um, the answer, of course, is sure, yes. Uh, of course, um, we could have a lot of difficulties to uh, create such a wide project. We have the, uh, the boxes, the letters, the official documents. But of course, it's difficult, not only geographically, but also economically, of course. And also we can have lots of um, some difficulties because for example, if you want to study, this is just an example, but just to let you understand how it can be difficult to recreate uh, such a project. If you want to study the relations between the kingdom of Naples and France, you can also, you can just study the French materials because during the Second World War, uh, the uh, archives in Naples were bombed. So we lost lots of documents. And um, so we can think about a project like that. I think that it could be enormously important, but of course we could have difficulties because the materials cannot be uh, we are not sure what on what we have and what is uh, it's gone. I think it goes back to just how unique the Duke was in the sense of how keen he was yeah. on this and that you've not got the same sort of enthusiasm in other kingdoms and yes it, it was really really cool we can say it because it also was clever and he understood that he has to use clever men to uh, you know to rule is cancelling uh, so to, um, to to manage all this system or spreading this system this postal system 
And so it's this, this ability to recognise that news that doesn't come from the courts and doesn't come from nobles can be quite helpful and useful. Yes, and sure. That might have been slightly unusual at the time, shall we say. Yes. That was really fascinating. Thank you very much for joining Thank me you. for the talk today. Thank um, you for the chance. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this Crossing Borders Contesting Boundaries podcast. We hope you found Julia's paper interesting. If you'd like to find out more about Mensa's podcast series and our other events, you can follow our Twitter account at Durham Mensa. You can join our Facebook group, Mensa Durham 2020-2021, or you can email us at mensa.committee at durham.ac.uk to be added to our mailing list. If you've enjoyed listening to this and our other episodes, you may be interested in Mensa's annual summer conference, which will continue the discussions of borders and boundaries in the medieval and early modern worlds. Our 15th annual conference will be held as a digital event between the 19th and 21st of July. For more information, find us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. Thank you.